0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here for a new week, Monday, October 2nd. Bright, sunny, beautiful day here in central Maryland, our northern command of CR. But sadly, it's a very dark day for this country. Um, you know, before we get started, I, obviously the details of the Vegas shooting are still extremely vague and spotty and. Sp- just hypocritical not hypocritical but just the media is all over the place which is understandable because details are still very chaotic but um there's nothing to say there is nothing to say a lot of people think that just because they have a platform they need to opine on everything on the weather on sports and tragedies and right now there's nothing from my angle you know how to look conservatively at policy issues so um we're going to do what Aaron did when his sons died, just be silent. Um you know like it says in Leviticus, and Aaron was silent. There's nothing to say, you know, when we we move on to the next world, we'll we'll learn God's ways and why things like this happen. But until then there's just no reason to have hot takes and oh, I know what happened or this happened or Obviously, politicize it. Of course, as always, everyone is politicizing it. Even though this looks appears to be an automatic weapon, which are very hard to get, so the whole gun control angle doesn't make sense. Um, the only the only other thing is, you know, they're talking about the increase in gun violence. Where again, this is it's it's a one guy. Uh, sadly, things like this happen. It's just the the worst worst event in, ter- in terms of casualties. Um, but we did talk a little bit last week about the rise in crime. So it's funny that they recognize that now, but they won't recognize it uh, as it relates to what's more of a public policy issue. There's no public policy issue in, in random mass shootings. There's, there's a limit to what you can do. But broad rise in crime as a result of giving people space to destroy and you know tying the hands of police, that is a policy issue. So... That that's the point. We're going to be dealing with that. And there are a lot of policy issues I want to deal with today. Um, you know, as the, the political world kind of grinds to a halt because of the tragedy, I want to take this time just to catch up on some of the things going on. The courts, taxes, um, maybe we'll get to Kurdistan, Iraq and Iran. What's going on there. Everything's backwards. Everything is backwards. And, I just want to preface by reading to you something Nancy Pelosi just said in an interview with the New York Times. It, it was just really telling. She was just looking back on you know what happened and you know, why she stayed in office and didn't retire after failing for a decade. And she made a very good point. You know, we all say Nancy Pelosi failed, but did she really fail? We didn't win the elections, but we've won every fight. We've won every fight on the omnibus spending bill, you know, the appropriations bills and the rest. You look at everything, they have no victories. And then she added, the president wants to work together. We have a responsibility to find common ground. That's my view. You know, sometimes it takes your political opponents to recognize the truth, even on your end. And certainly this audience has recognized that for quite some time. You know, it's already October. This is obviously our first podcast in October. It's uh it's pretty amazing to think about that. That we're almost a year, almost a year out from the great big twenty sixteen elections. We're obviously uh, you know, approaching our tenth month of this new Republican administration with obviously control of the House and the Senate, and they've done nothing. You know, again, obviously very, very sad to watch as the left and, and, and again, I, I don't like commenting on random social media people to make it as if that's some sort of enduring you know trend in the country. People are gonna say hateful and stupid things during a time of tragedy. But already some elected Democrat senators and congressmen have used this as a, as a form to promote gun control. So the point is they never let an, a news story opportunity go to waste to promote their agenda. But yet Republicans, whether it's the destruction of health care, they won't push it to fix health care. You know, the terrorism angle, they won't push it to write our foreign policy, our immigration policies, homeland policies. The craziness in the courts, which we're going to talk about, they won't push that to promote judicial reform. They've done nothing. So, it's just kind of interesting watching Nancy Pelosi think about this uh, out loud and stumble across the truth. Now, another thing that's just important, again, talking about what's going on, there's another New York Times article I'm going to link to how they they detail from at least a couple of people inside the administration – You know, it is the New York Times, so I know that some people say, "Well, it's fake news," but this this is pretty accurate from what I'm hearing. That Trump went to war against the NFL. That I don't disagree with him on that, but he went to war with them as a distraction from all of his policy betrayals. You know, always go and toss some political morphine at the base. So now they're talking about oh this that, and that's the point. We get all distracted. You know, before this tragedy overnight. In Las Vegas, the big news was the politiz- politicization of the hurricane. You know, it's every everything's a tragedy. We politicize the hurricane Marie in Puerto Rico. Um, so naturally, everyone's going to rally to Trump's side, and he's certainly right. He didn't do anything wrong, and you know, the left is politicizing that. But meanwhile, we're forgetting the most important things going on in the country. And let's let's talk about some of that today. Let me let me start off with the courts. Obviously, this is the most educated audience around in politics as it comes to judicial tyranny. You guys have been ahead of the curve. I get tons of emails and social media messages from a lot of you guys. Um, Some of you even send me articles I haven't seen. I really appreciate it. Uh, You're catching on to my theme of what the courts are doing, and you're seeing it yourself. Nobody's talking about this, but I could think of three cases just over, gosh, just over the last couple days, just over the long weekend or late last week, where the courts have gone nuts. And let me just, I'll try to go through each one if we have time, but just briefly, in Kentucky, a federal judge struck down, and I use that term loosely because a court can't strike anything down. It's not a veto, but we'll get to that. The court struck down the heartbeat bill, um, part of a broad theme of them basically saying no abortion regulations allowed. Um, so if you want to take back a state legislature for the purpose of doing any pro-life legislation just know that if you do not pursue judicial reform forget it forget it then you had a judge in uh i believe this was do, 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 the dc district which is like 10 to one democrat appointees or something uh they're 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 starting to say that so they keep limiting the so-called travel ban. Now they're saying, well, anyone who wins the diversity visa lottery must uh, be allowed to b- be brought in, even if they're part of the country under Trump's ban. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, as much as we don't like the diversity visa lottery, well, isn't it in statute? So if you win the diversity visa lottery, don't you get to come in under a uh, visa and get a green card? Yeah, but again, the presidential power to shut off Immigration 212F in statute is a is a circuit breaker. I mean, it it shuts off the switch of anything. That that's the whole point. It overrides that. That you have the general immigration system, but the president could say, "Hey, for this time, we feel this is a danger, not even a danger. It doesn't have to be a security. It has to be something that's not in that's that's a um, just a strategic interest. It could be a health concern. It could be a public charge concern." So, uh, but no, they're now limiting that. So there you go. This is going to continue. It's going to continue until we end this notion that a district judge has the ability to put a nationwide injunction on our national security. But anyway, what I want to talk about broadly before we get to taxes, um, just because we're going to run out of time. I, I could, you know, I could go on about the courts forever. But. Where is this? Let me, let, me, let me pull up this article. It just came out today. I wrote the article, Judge King Strikes Down Cross on Pennsylvania County Flag. So, Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, this is you know roughly the Allentown area, they have a flag, like many flags, that has a lot of historical significance and has religious symbols on it because, well, you see, America was kind of founded by religious dudes. Um, anyway, um, so the, the, this wasn't the ACLU actually, it was one of the few that wasn't the ACLU, it was this, uh, atheist group, um, freedom from religion, whatever group, I forgot what they're called, they're based out of Wisconsin, so a Wisconsin-based group gets standing to sue in federal, this wasn't even a state or county court, um, federal court to say that you have to redo your flag that's been there for 70 years. And obviously these symbols broadly have been in Pennsylvania and every other state since the founding. But they said that the state, the county flag and county official seal, because it has a cross on it, well, that that's unconstitutional. Now there's something very interesting happened in this case. So the district judge here, judge Edward Smith of the Eastern district of Pennsylvania, he was an Obama appointee. Now, the interesting thing is, so you might say, "Oh, of course, it's a leftist," but this guy really wasn't a Democrat. He's really a Republican because the two senators from the state, Toomey and what's his name, Casey, they cut a deal a while ago to uh, basically just switch off. You get one pick, I get one pick. So, irrespective of who's the president, we're, we'll bring to the president, you know, even if it's of the opposite party, the the guy that you know. It's my turn, so I'll, I want a Republican, even though there's a Democrat president. We'll have a Republican judge. This guy actually ran for office as a Republican years ago. So, he, loosely speaking, he's a Republican. Now, there's something very important to bring out here. This man said, he said that although he doesn't really believe that something this far flung is a violation of the Establishment Clause, that you're establishing a you know, state religion, but he said he's he's bound by precedent of the Supreme Court and the Third Circuit, of this stupid lemon test. Now, it's not worth going to the details. For some of you know the lemon test is this phony concocted thing of that the government can't, anything that looks like an endorsement of religion. Now obviously, you guys are all constitutionalists, you know that it's the exact opposite. The Establishment Clause was to protect the religions of the states. In fact, nine of the 13 states had official state religions At the time that it was drafted, Um, it was to protect them. It was to ensure that the federal government doesn't force a national religion, but the states could. Now, I'm not trying to say the states should have an official religion. I'm just saying um, that's how limited it was. It wasn't trying to do that. It was trying to protect them, um, as, as Clarence Thomas always says. But certainly, as Madison said so many times, the Establishment Clause is very simple. Establishing a state religion means one thing and one thing only. It means coercing someone to violate their conscience. So on that account, we've actually established a national religion in this country, and that is the sexual identity religion, where we are coercing people to violate their conscience, to violate their deeply held founding views of this country, all to service the homosexual agenda. That's the only violation of the Establishment Clause. When a state just merely, pre, you know, you have a state gathering where county officials or state officials pray, they don't force anyone, they don't um, coerce people to service uh, Jesus or, or any religion or any religious service at the threat of, of a fine of imprisonment. That's the Establishment Clause. Nobody's doing that. To have an innocuous symbol or a statue or a monument that is not doing anything. And moreover, how do you get standing to sue against a symbol or a monument? See, this is what people don't understand. This is what distinguishes a court from, being the, from wielding the judicial power to wielding super legislative power of a legislature and then the veto of an executive, where you get to veto a policy. Courts, for the 50 millionth time, they cannot veto legislation. They can't veto an abstract policy, and they certainly can't veto an inanimate object or a symbol. What ha- the judicial power means that someone has a valid grievance that affects them in a in a, in a way that 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 um, causes tangible harm. And it's a redressable grievance that can be redressed by relief that the court offers. That's exercising the judicial power. So if you don't like the symbol, what I'm trying to say is even if a symbol was a legitimate violation of the Establishment Clause, it's not. But let's say you had a legitimate Establishment Clause violation. It's very hard to get standing because that's not the court's job. If you don't like it, go in your county executive Um Hold the hearing and you know petition them to, to change it. The court is not a forum for everything that you disagree with. You know, it's a, it, let's say you're being thrown in jail or fined because of a state law. And like, I want to go to the court. Okay, well, what do the, what, what does the law say? Well, it sa- it does say this. Well, but I'm saying the law is unconstitutional. That's where judicial review comes in. But that's the difference between judicial review and judicial exclusivity and judicial supremacy. They don't stand above the other branches of government. So they can't just go, I don't like this policy, struck down. So anyway, this is all going on in the courts. And of course, you know, there's a growing war on religious freedom, on prayer, on everything. And nobody's talking about this. Nobody's stripping the courts. Lower courts. These are lower courts. But there's one – before we go on to taxes, there's one important thing here I want to get to, one important aspect. This judge clearly was more of a Republican judge because that was his history. And in fact, if you go back a couple years to his confirmation in the Senate, most Democrats voted against him and and every Republican voted for him. Again, this was Toomey's pick because they felt he was too pro-life. So he's actually, politically speaking, he's more of a so-called right-leaning judge. But that's my point. This is getting back to last week's news. This is the point of Judge Rory Moore. And this is what I've been screaming about. These respectable Republican Federalist Society judges. Yeah, they're personally pro-life. Yeah, they're personally against legislating from the bench. But the gospel they sing out of is... Well, it's precedent. I got to follow it. Now, first of all, in this case, everyone knows that establishment clause jurisprudence, it's all wrong, but it's all also all over the place. There's no lower courts are doing whatever they want until you have a new Supreme Court guidance on this. It's all over the place. There's no everyone agrees that left and right, wherever you are on this issue, everyone agrees. It's not clear. Um, So. If you really believe that the Constitution doesn't say this, you're going to go out of your way to not follow that precedent, especially if it's not really precedent anyway. That's what separates Roy Moore out. Roy Moore had a similar thing with a district judge saying you have to take away the Ten Commandments. And Judge Moore was saying, wait a minute. The whole rationale of judicial review, yeah? The whole rationale is what? What is it? It's that I swear an oath to the Constitution. So even if I have to interpret the law, but if the law is against the Constitution, I have to go with the ultimate law of the land, and that is the US Constitution, because I can't violate my oath of office. But that means that certainly the other branches of government, if a court gives an unconstitutional edict, you can't, you have to do your thing. And if you're a lower court or a state court, you have to follow your oath of office. And that was his point. So this is the thing. We're going to elect all these Republican judges. I know there's a lot of news. Uh, oh, how, Repo- you know, Trump is appointing all these great lower court judges, even though the truth is, and this is not his fault, but the truth is, mainly they're just filling seats of good judges that left. And we're not really turning over too many seats or flipping circuits. So don't think things are changing. They're not. As, as you see every day in the courts, the courts are crazy. But this is what distinguishes a constitutionalist from just another Republican judge. Are you going to actually go with the Constitution? You're going to say, well, I don't really like it, but yeah, let's strike down our history and heritage. So this is all going on in the courts. um, And of course, nobody wants to talk about this. But we will continue highlighting in our series of Bastards on the Bench how we need judicial reform and hopefully Judge Roy Moore will be that impetus in the Senate for such a move. But anyway, until that point, until we actually change the courts, this is another example of the thesis for today's show. That, as Nancy Pelosi recognized, the left wins all of the important policy outcomes. They win all of the fights, even though they don't win the elections. Part of that is because elections don't matter. The courts is what matters. The courts decide Every single issue, and they're not elected on a federal level, which is why it's so crazy to give this kind of power to the federal courts, if not the state courts, which mainly are elected. We don't live in a constitutional republic anymore. We live in a judicial autocracy. So today you know, is the new session of the Supreme Court, and everyone's, wow, worshiping them. What's going to happen? What's going to be? It's all out of our power. And it's kind of funny, because even the Supreme Court doesn't take up most of the cases. I mean, ultimately, they take up a lot of the important ones after many years. But until then, the lower courts are controlling everything. And everyone agrees the lower courts certainly aren't on par with the other two branches of government. They stand below them. But that's where we are. They win elections without – they win the fights without winning elections. We don't have time today to get to foreign policy, but that's for sure. The military-industrial complex, the all the just foreign policy, policy leadership that never changes. Uh, every single pro-Iran policy make the wrong investments. The right investments we don't make. Ally with Erdogan, with Iran, and the Baghdadi government against the Kurds makes no sense. We'll we'll do a show on that, you know, soon. Um, tax policy. So Republicans have accomplished nothing. They've done nothing on the issue of our time. Healthcare, as we noted many times, is the private debt, public debt. Um, that is the linchpin to prosperity, economic growth, everything, job market. You name it. It is you gotta fix healthcare. But taxes, taxes. There's this is clamored. So so now they're writing the the fiscal year 2018 budget blueprint, which will allow them to do reconciliation to do quote-unquote, tax reform. Now, I've done several shows on this, a number of articles before you guys know. I am a skeptic to begin with that we should even approach this issue. I don't believe it's fundamentally the issue of our, our time. Of course, if conservatives were in charge, we would do something else on taxes. We would have a better tax system. And in fact, I know many of you have been emailing me about this idea called the neutral tax I'm going to link to in show notes. I don't know if I'm going to have time to get to today, but we will do a show on it at some point, if not with the author of that plan. But the whole idea of abolishing all federal taxes and having the, the feds have a flat tax on state revenue. So the states are in the driver's seat. They set everything. They could set it whatever they want. And then the feds just come in and take 30, 40 percent flat. Um, and they would have that debate on their turf. Now, without having time to get into that plan, that is the only thing that's worthwhile. There is no good way of fixing the progressive income tax code. The way to think about this issue is this. Every time you pick up that ball, there's two options. You could throw an incomplete pass, or you could throw a interception. You will not score with it, so don't pick it up. And as, you've noted, as I've noted many times, I said, most people outside of the very wealthy, this is just a reality, outside of the very wealthy, they do not pay a lot in taxes. Now, I know especially middle, upper income you know, do pay certainly a lot, but most of the revenue, just on a macro sense, is all coming from the wealthy. And this is the problem. This has allowed them to grow government between that and debt, so people don't feel it. They, they don't care about the government doing stupid things because – it's mainly a small amount of people top 1% top 5% to a certain extent paying everything and then the rest is serviced on debt so you know no one cares and this is why we're never going to win this issue see let me let me just say the corporate tax plan cut it from 35 to 20 they get rid of some deductions but then they have some others it's clearly a clearly a, a tax cut Everyone agrees repatriation. It, it's This is one universal area. Now, let's see them actually fight for it, but fine. Now, the only thing is I will just say that, again, I don't think it's the issue of our time. We've had these tax rates since FDR's time, and to a certain extent, it's gotten a little better as a result of the Reagan and Bush tax cuts. So it's not the issue of our time. If, if I had to ask you what changed the last 14 years we haven't had 3% growth sustained for a year, we've gone – gosh, almost 20 years without 4% growth, and then since the 80s uh, with 5% growth. Why? Why is that? Are you going to say it's because of the tax code? No, because if anything, taxes went down a little bit on net. You know, Obama hiked them back up a little bit on, on the on the real wealthy, but, I mean, it's not that's not the reason. The reason is because of Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, Sarbanes-Oxley, and the ethanol mandate, things like that. The tinkering with the economy, the socially engineered economy, not even just the regs, but the... The market distortions, a centrally, centrally planned economy, I didn't even get to the Fed and monetary policy, that's where it's at. That's what has changed in this country, the dependency. The tax code is not really the issue of our time. But, okay, fine, corporate tax cut, fine. The individual tax plan is an utter disaster in the making. I'm warning you guys. I'll link to my piece in show notes, see how much time we have to unpack this. But here is why this is not going to wind up being any good. It's going to wind up being a um, a net a net loss, an interception. <sighs> so, in this document that these committee chairmen released and the White House endorsed of their their plan, they said that it's the stated goals of this frame, drafted framework. To ensure that the new plan, quote, is at least as progressive as the existing tax code and does not shift the tax burden from high income to lower and middle income taxpayers. Okay, you're done. You're done. You lost. This is another example of Pelosi winning the fight by losing the election without without firing a shot. You agreed to the premise. The reason why I'm against taking this issue up is because. The problem is because of the progressivity and because of the revenue issue. No good is going to come out of this. You're going to wind up. What happens every time is you wind up making it even more progressive at the bottom, and you wind up, you know, making the tax burden more on the wealthy, which is not pro growth, which is not fair. Um, and then the middle upper income, I think the jury is still out, depending on the details. Which in itself is a joke, the fact that they haven't given you the tax brackets yet. Complete joke. But you're you're not once you agree to that premise, you're done. You're completely done. And this is the problem. This is the problem with the progressive tax code. Because the the problem with the progressive tax code is that it creates a new baseline. Once you make it, that let me just exaggerate to prove a point. Two people. I pay 50 cents in taxes a year, and you pay 5 million in taxes. So let's say I want to give a tax cut. Uh, Not me, but I'm saying, you know, Congress wants to give a tax cut. So let's say we're going to even make it a larger tax cut for for the bottom. So I get a 10% tax cut. Well, you're just giving me 5 cents, a nickel. That's it. And the rich guy, even if you go and say, you know what? For the wealthy, we're just going to cut the rates by 5%. Well, what happens? You pay $5 million in taxes before. Now 5%. You're getting a $250,000 tax cut. Tax cuts for the rich. That's the problem. It's as if we view it in a vacuum. And that's, that's the class warfare of the left. They don't l- look at the broad picture that, what do you mean? They're paying a fortune. Even after the cuts and deductions and so-called loopholes, they're paying that. And here, here's the problem. You ask anyone center-right, you know, any Republican, establishment Republican, we disagree on a lot of things, but broadly speaking, you ask them. Here's the facts of the tax burden distribution. The top 1% pay 39.5% of all income taxes, even though they only earn 20.6% of the income. Okay? Top 5%, they pay 60% of the income taxes, even though they earn 36% of the income okay a lot more than their burden top 10% pays collectively 71% of the pie even though they earn just 47% of the pie and the bottom 50 pay just 2.7% even though they earn 11.2 more greater than their share of the income tax pie right you cannot get more distributed than... And obviously, the bottom 50, it's mainly from 50 to 65 or so. The, you know, the bottom 35% don't pay anything because the refundable tax credits more than zero out their income, and a lot of them wind up making money, several thousand dollars off the tax code a year. So if I ask any Republican, is that fair? Is that pro growth? pro-growth? Does that incentivize upward mobility? Everyone will say, of course not. It's horrible. But then, whenever Republicans put pen to paper... I ask, are you making it more or less progressive? And now they're admitting, no, it's going to be at least as progressive. So then what's the point? What is the point? It makes no sense. We're going to have this problem every time. Like I said, because this is the, and this is why I'm so into this neutral tax business of just getting it away from the feds. Having states in control, and I want to talk about it at a later date just because we don't have the time to get through all the details, but basically, sadly, we're never going to have a flat tax or even a flat air tax because that necessarily means the rich pay less than they're paying now and the so-called poor pay more. Now, you guys in the audience know that that's merely evening it out because one, of you're starting at 50 cents and one, of you're starting at 5 million. So, you know, the, the rich will still be paying a lot more in absolute terms, but it, that's what's fair. You know, we, the, the burden should be low, on, especially on a federal level. It should just be the military and border patrol and, you know, constitutional functions of government. But once you're funding it, part of the social compact is that everyone should be paying the same. I mean clearly, everyone should be paying not the same dollar amount, obviously, um, but definitely the same the same rate. And everyone agrees to that in the abstract. It's amazing. But when you finally go and um you know, you you you, you want to actually say, Oh, I'm gonna reform the code, what happens? Suddenly Everyone gets all into this, you know, redistributive nonsense. So then on top of that, what's happening here? On top of that, they're actually promising to add a fourth bracket. So they're, they're saying they're going to collapse the brackets from seven to three, which is stupid, because you're not simplifying anything. The reason why the tax code is complex is because it's complex. It's because of all the contingencies. It's not because of the, br- the number of brackets. Oh, I want you to be able to fill it out on a postcard. You literally have Kevin Brady, the Ways and Means Committee Chairman, who thinks that you could fill it out on um, (laughs) a postcard. That actually makes it more complicated because we don't use snail mail. Everyone uses free tax software, which instantaneously tabulates the brackets. That's the easiest part. In fact, there's reasons to believe you 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 collapse it into three. You're going to make it more complex. The reality is you either agree to the premise of a progressive tax code or you don't. I don't agree to it. Now, But given the politics, it's very hard to get rid of it. So this is why I believe in the neutral tax thing. Have the same amount of revenue. Just have the state set it all. And we have to have this fight over how you collect the taxes on a state level. We can't have it on a federal level. We're never going to win it. Especially with the articulation problems from Republicans, never ever going to have it. You know, the bottom line is Thomas Jefferson warned. He warned a while ago. Um, you know, he was one of the founders that talked a lot about taxes, and he, you know, when he was president. He really abolished a lot of taxes. Uh, it was just on luxury items, I think, because he had on imports and duties, and he got rid of all of them on on imports, um, or most of them. But anyway, he said the the the. Democracy will cease to exist when you take away from those who are willing to work and give those who would not to compel a man to furnish funds for the propagation of ideas he disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. You had know, a lot of good stuff on that. Um, lots of really, really good quotes. But, you know, there's, there's the bottom line. There is the bottom line. There is no right way of doing this. Just the sad reality there is no right way of doing a progressive income tax and every time we pick up that ball we make it more progressive so now they they're going to have 35 25 and 10 but we're going to they already made it clear that they're going to add a fourth one you know keep the 40 but then get rid of the deductions now here's the problem with the deduction business and this is where not only will you be raising taxes on the wealthy that pay most of it but even I'd say middle upper operating but it's really I mean most of you guys in the audience fit into this category um, you know you know and I don't mean to sound like a jerk here but they'll always say oh the median income in America is three cents you know every family of five living off of no one lives off of that you know give me a break okay then they're having other problems they're getting stuff I mean most families where you're they're educated and work especially with both the husband and wife working You're, you know, certainly combined, um, you're going to be earning six figures at some point. And keep in mind, we look at wealth in a vacuum. Age matters. Yeah, you might be in your 20s, but in your 40s and 50s, you want to be earning a lot more than you should be. Um, You know, I grew up when I was younger. We lived very, very simply. My dad was, you know, he had a master's degree in, in nuclear engineering and an MBA and, um, great. I mean, he was just brilliant at engineering, and he was the problem is he was in mechanical engineering, and he was uh, out of a, he was out of a job about five six times because of manufacturing going into hell in a handbasket, and he really never kind of made it uh, commensurate to his uh, level of earning. My you know my mother was a school teacher and you know whatever. I mean, we we lived kind of simply. It was only once we moved out in his final you know, 10 years of his career, I mean he's still working now. Finally made it. Finally, finally. I mean, a guy like that, you wanna now 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 you want to tax his, his rear end off in his 60s. I mean, so so this whole thing of, oh, you're wealthy, you're not, a lot of it is age. You want you wanna get there. It's just so stupid. So anyway, back to what I'm talking about with the middle I, I really call it middle class, but if you want to call it middle upper income. So here's the deal. I don't like deductions. I don't like, I understand, I don't like the market distortions in the social engineering. But the reality is that once you have them, you have to be very careful if you're going to get rid of them The rates have to come down enough that it's going to be a net tax cut because as much as we complain about them, that which we say the top 5% and top 10% pay most of the taxes, that is after and including the deduction on state and local taxes and real estate taxes. As much as you wouldn't like it, they're paying it after the fact. That's already baked into the cake. So stop complaining about that. Again, I want to get rid of it, but I want to bring down the rates dramatically. And by not showing us the brackets, they're not showing their work, it could very easily work out that it's going to be a net tax increase. Especially because they don't want to lose enough revenue, and that's a whole other issue. And they want to keep it just as progressive, so there you go. It's going to wind up putting more people at the bottom into not paying taxes, make that even more progressive, hose the wealthy, and then possibly um, middle-class families that... And I'm talking about you know people like myself. Um... I live in Maryland, but you know the county tax, real estate taxes aren't that high, and still, you know, family of five. I own a home. I paid three hundred fifty thousand for it. It's not a million dollar home. Um, it it adds up, and if you get rid of the real estate taxes, state and local it, um taxes, I mean, it could for someone like me, it could easily easily be. And look, I'm, I'm in the 25% married bracket, so go figure that out there. That is the breadbasket of the Republican middle class. A lot of Republican voters, married, 25% bracket, who own a home. Watch out for those people. That is, And, and what's funny is that the, the Democrats are already hitting Republicans on this. I mean, that that is political malpractice. It's one thing you get hit with blowing a hole in the deficit in order to give tax cuts to the rich or tax cuts to the rich. Or making the poor pay more, which everyone knows means you're just paying something. But you never want to get hit with saying you're downright raising taxes on middle-upper income. That's just, that's just suicidal. But count on Republicans to do it. So after 10 months in office, this is what we're picking, the tax issue. Anyway, at some point I want to get back to um, this neutral tax. I'm going to LinkedIn and show notes. I think it's a beautiful idea. I think this is the type of added, out of the box thinking on taxes that will not just fix tax policy, but fix our entire system of government and empower the states to be the leaders instead of instead of the federal government. I know I've been a little vague here, just because I, I want to delve into this in in a in its own show. But a lot going on, a lot on foreign policy. Um, obviously, as this tragedy unfolds, we'll be watching it, and you know certainly the left will be pushing gun control. But really, as always, the opposite lesson uh, usually is what applies, depending the details here. Um, we have certainly a lot going on with the Kurds. We're going to see Iranians are amassing military on their border. This is a big problem, and our government is siding with the wrong side because, as Nancy Pelosi said – They could lose elections, but they will always win the policy fights. Don't get fooled by the political morphine. Watch the discernible policy outcomes. All righty. We've gone over time here, way over time. Until next time, God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.